you for listening to another inspiring message from The Movement Church. To find out more about The Movement Church, you can check out our website at theocmovement.com or follow us on Facebook and Instagram at The OC Movement. Good morning, Movement Church. Hey, somebody say Easter's coming. Oh, yeah, turn your neighbor and say Easter's coming. Listen, you, you need to know, if you're new to the, the Movement Church, you need to know that we have a mandate, we feel, in our lives here in Orange County to help people who are far from God find the hope that's only found in Jesus. So listen, as a church, we exist not to become a country club for Christians to just show up and feel really good about their life, but we exist to inspire the one who's far from God to find life in Christ and life in the church. And we'll do this until all have heard. That is our mission. And what you need to know is that Jesus said in John chapter 10, he said, I am the door. I want to say the door. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. So we are planning an experience for Easter Sunday called The Door. Everyone say The Door. And we're expecting God to do the miraculous in a way that people will never forget. So here's where you come into play. Here's our heart. We actually believe that you and I can set the stage for the move of God, that we get the opportunity to unlock a whole new world for your friends. Anybody anybody else thinking Aladdin right now? A whole new world. Come on, anybody feeling it? Listen, you and I get the opportunity to do that, to unlock a new world for your friends. So here's what I'm asking. Between now and Easter, I want you to do two things. Unlock hope and unlock purpose. Unlock hope and unlock purpose. On your way out today, you're gonna get a packet that looks just like this. There's three or four invites in here. There's a little key. You can wear it as a necklace, put it on your keychain. But this is a reminder It says, till all have heard. And I wanna ask you to join us between now and Easter to unlock hope by inviting your friends to church. In fact, Romans 10 says, how can people call for help? In other words, how can they even find the door that is Jesus if no one tells them? And I believe this is the part that you and I play. That there are people in your neighborhood, your coworkers, maybe some of your families and friends. I'm not talking about your friends that go to church somewhere. I'm talking about people who just desperately need to know the hope of who Jesus is. Inviting your friends, the most power, one of the most powerful ways you can unlock hope in the world that we live in. So here's what I'm asking for that you'll commit to inviting 10 people, everyone say 10 people, 10 people to the movement church between now and Easter. Let's unlock hope together. The second thing I'm asking is you unlock purpose. And there's some of you in this room that aren't on the dream team and I wanna challenge you to make the change for Easter Sunday. You actually get to set the stage for people to encounter hope by being a greeter as people walking up and smiling, giving a Corona fist bump, whatever it takes. And we get to be cordial and nice and, and create an environment. And I, there are some of you that are not on the dream team. I'm just asking you jump on for Easter Sunday. You can serve one service and sit another. It's gonna take all of us to accommodate the influx of people that will be here Easter Sunday, April 12th. We will have record-breaking attendance. So if you're not on the team, I wanna challenge you to unlock purpose. In fact, you can text the word unlock to the number on our screen and follow along and listen, jump in and let's make a difference. I believe God's called us to make an impact in the world that we live in. And what, ha- what, what becomes a challenge is when we abdicate that role to someone else. You have some friends who desperately just need an invite. Do you know 83% of people who are invited to church will actually come? 
there just looking for someone to say, hey, come and sit next to me. I've saved you a seat. So join us in the journey. And hey, speaking of Corona, I don't know about you. I'm, I'm tired of reading articles about it, but look at me, church. Hey, real quickly, look at me in the eyes. We are not driven by fear. We are driven by faith. Now, I'm not saying be foolish. If somebody is coughing up, don't go and give them a kiss on the cheek. But look at me, we're driven by faith. So don't allow the fear of a media outlet that is not sanctified by who Jesus is to drive your emotions. So be wise. You can do the Wuhan handshake, whatever you want to do, but don't be driven by fear and stop buying toilet paper and water bottles because I'm about to run out of toilet paper at my house and I just need somebody to hook a brother up. Literally, we have like three rolls left and we're in trouble. So somebody hook a brother up. Amen? All right. That's enough of that. Let's dive into our series today. We're in a series called uh, The Exchange, and we're, we're unpacking the book of Romans, which is uh, a book in the New Testament of the Bible, and it's, it's considered the great Christian manifesto. It's one of Paul's greatest writings. So Paul is a, one of the chief leaders of the church in the New Testament, in the first century church. He's one of the chief writers of the New Testament. And, and this is his greatest writing. It's these huge theological revelation of God's nature and plan for salvation. And really his heart is this. His heart is that you and I as Christ followers or Christians, that we would grow in greater spiritual maturity. Now, if you're here and you're not sure what it is that you believe, permission to belong, before you believe. But if you're here and you say, I'm a Christ follower, then the book of Romans was written to the church in Rome in 64 AD, but it's also written to the movement church in Orange County in 2020. And Paul kind of just lets us know right off the bat that this book is about Jesus and only Jesus. We're going to set aside our petty issues. We're going to set aside our disagreements. We're going to set aside things that divide us. And we're going to get centralized, unified on the person of Jesus. In verse 4 of chapter 1, he starts off by saying, Jesus Christ, our Lord, through whom we've received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith. Everyone say obedience of faith. For the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. He's saying, listen, there's the gospel, which is the good news. That's what gospel means, good news of Jesus for all nations, for everyone, regardless of your background. And he's saying, listen, let's talk about obedience of faith. He starts off Romans with that phrase. He ends the book of Romans with that phrase. And I think that's his heart for you and for me, that we would walk in the obedience of faith and grow in our spiritual maturity. I want to pray for us today, but I, as I do, I want to just pray that we'll open our hearts to what God wants to say and do. I've been praying for you so hard this week, just for you and for me. Just, God, what do you want to say and do? And how, what do you want to speak? I, I wrote my message today three different times, three different messages all together. Just, God, what are you saying? And I just, the one thing I keep getting overwhelmed by is the notion that we can show up and gather in a place like this with other followers of Christ and miss Christ in the midst of us. And I just don't want that for any of us. I don't want you to just hear the words I'm about to share over the next 22 minutes and miss what the Holy Spirit's trying to speak to you. So what if we leaned in and just said, God, today, 
I'm going to do, I'm just going to open my heart to you. You you move and do and say whatever it is that you want to say. Can we pray that way? Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? God, I thank you that you're doing something miraculous in our life. I thank you that we're not driven by fear, but we're driven by faith. I thank you, God, that when we show up, you show up. Your presence is here, your power is revealed, and that you have a plan for each of us, whether we're sitting in this room or in the family room or listening online. So God, lean in and do what only you can do. You be God. Move in our life. In Jesus' mighty and precious name, I pray. And everybody said, amen, Amen, which just means I agree. Well, let's kind of dive back into a little bit of the history. If you missed last week, the first week of the exchange, then I really encourage you to go back, check out the podcast, because I unpack kind of the history of why Paul wrote to the church in Rome. But we find the church in Rome, uh, there's two different groups of people who are there. We have Jews who uh, have a heritage that, that most probably know or, or somewhat understand. And then there's Gentiles who are everyone else, but both groups of people with different heritage, uh, different like traditions, different walks of life are now together in the same church under the banner of faith in Jesus. And so Paul is writing to them to encourage. And we read that in Romans chapter one, verse 11. He says, I long to see you so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift and to make you strong. Verse 12, he says, that is that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. But when Paul is writing to the church in Rome, the two groups of people are not mutually encouraged by their faith. In fact, there's animosity between them. In fact, they're at odds with each other. They're arguing over silly, foolish things like which holidays should we actually observe and and whether or not the Gentiles are circumcised. I'm not sure how they found out if they were or not. That's an awkward conversation, but they're arguing over this and that was funnier than you laughed at right there. And, And they're arguing over the notion of bacon because Jews were not permitted to eat bacon or pork or anything and and they're showing up for a potluck dinner for church and the Gentiles are bringing bacon because you know the Lord loves bacon and and they're like hey you can't do that they're getting upset with each other so much that they're literally just shutting down church and Paul's like what are you doing And what's interesting is the easiest way to kill a move of God is when the children of God are at odds with each other, when they're not working together and and, and the church in Rome is now divided. You have the Gentiles on this side who are diluting the gospel, the good news of Jesus. You have the Jews on this side who are adding to the gospel of Jesus. And and in the process, they're drawing what I'm going to call today pharisaical circles around the gospel. It's not Corona. They're drawing pharisaical circles around the gospel. And you might be asking, what are pharisaical circles? Well, I'm so glad that you asked. A pharisaical circle is when I try to build my own faith upon my own precepts and on my own truth. It's man's attempt to add to or take away from God's plan. Last week, we talked about God's plan. God's plan. Last week, thank you, Drake. Last week we talked about the human condition and how it says that what God says isn't enough. 
And so religious leaders in that time were known as Pharisees. And they were, on, they were on a consistent basis adding to what God said. We talked about this last week. God would give a command like, hey, remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. But in an attempt to be righteous, they added 39 different rules to that law and thousands of sub-rules to it. And in essence, building a 15-foot f- uh, circle around the commandment with an electric fence saying, well, if this is what God said, we've got to add to it so we don't even get close to breaking that commandment. And it was done out of a a great intention, but what it did was create a circle of addition. Everyone say addition. They were adding to what God had given them. Now, the hope was great. Their desire was they wanted to be righteous. Their hope was that they lived right, in right standing with God, according to what God had for them for them. The problem was it exploited the wrath of God. So it projected shame onto any and everyone within earshot. Now on the other side, we had the Gentiles and they were hearing God's commands and they were understanding God's heart for them, but were removing what made them feel uncomfortable. So we'll call this the circle of subtraction. So they're taking away what made them feel uncomfortable. Think about it. They show up at church. They didn't grow up Jewish. They don't have the same heritage. And the Jews are saying, sure, you're saved by faith, but you need to observe these holidays. Don't eat bacon and OBTW. Go get circumcised. And they're like, say what? And they're thinking, this doesn't sound like the mercy and the grace of a true and living God. So they were diluting the gospel by removing things from it. And the hope was to make it easier for people to experience the love of God. The problem was it exploited the mercy of God and they supplemented obedience with their own desires. Does that make sense? Both circles cause shame or project shame. So I wanna talk for a few moments today about circles that we draw in our life and the unhealthy attributes it creates in our life. Now listen, this book of Romans was written somewhere between 55 and 69 AD to the church in Rome, but it's also written to you right here today. So, As I talk through this, all of us fit into some of these categories, and I want you to allow the Holy Spirit to illuminate where you're at today. First thing I want to talk about is how circles produce religion and not relationship. The the circle of addition, it created a religion and it removed relationship. It's man's attempt to shift surrender into a task list. And we just love our to-do list, don't we? It feels, we like to write a to-do list for Saturday. We like to write a to-do list for our work. We need a task, task list just so we can check the, boss, the boxes because it makes us feel like we're accomplishing something. Isn't that right, guys? You just tell your wife, listen, just tell me what you want me to do. I cannot read your mind. If you just write it down, I'll do it. Can I get an amen from some dudes in the house? And all the ladies are like, I did write it down and you didn't do it. Can I get an amen? <laughs> Settle down, ladies. Guys, you missed your moment. We could have united there, and it just, we abdicated our strength. It's over. If you've ever been to therapy, which I have, I've spent thousands of dollars on therapy. (gasps) Mind blown. I'm really jacked up. I need help. So I've spent thousands of dollars, and at any time you go to therapy, you come to this point, you're just like, 
just tell me what to do. I don't want to tell you about my feelings. You know what my feelings are? I want to punch you in the face right now. That's my feelings. Just tell me. Anybody else been to therapy and can identify? Thank you. First service was so judgy. Thank you, second service. Just give me the solution. Give me the five-step process. I just want you to tell me what I need to do so that I don't have to think about it. So now our faith has become this merit badge system that I just, if I get this one done, then I'm a little bit better. I go to church on Sundays and now I can listen to Kanye West. It's okay. And I volunteer so I get this badge and I give so I get this badge and I pray so I get this badge and I treat others well so I get this badge and I'm kind to animals so I get this badge and I don't ask for plastic demonic straws so I get this badge and I return my cart at Costco so I get this badge and then we live a life and it sounds silly, but you do this. And we think that we are earning our righteousness. And we earn everything else in life. So it just makes sense in our feeble human minds that we have to earn our righteousness. And Paul said, nope, you you can't earn your righteousness. In verse five, he said, your righteousness has come through faith. Through Jesus, you have received grace. I've been married for almost 19 years, 18. Did we figure that out in first service? We both can't remember. Because it feels like just a moment. Mm-mm-mm. Mm-mm. I just made that song up. I don't even know what that is. I, I, I'm married to my wife. I have a contract somewhere in some filing system in a dusty corner of our house that says we're married. I've got a ring tattooed on my finger. We, we live together. We ha- cohabitate. We've, we've produced children, and we, we sleep together in the same bed, and, and all these things are great, but they don't make a marriage. They are a binding contract. What makes a marriage is the fact that I have a relationship with my wife that we know each other. I know so much about Megan. I know that no matter how she's cooking or what she's cooking, she's gonna grab the wrong knife every time. She's gonna grab a paring knife to cut a steak, a steak knife to cut a watermelon, and a meat cleaver to dice some garlic. I one time saw her trying to sharpen a serrated knife, and I was like, what are you doing? She's like, what's wrong with you? Nothing. I know that right now, her flat iron is on my side of the sink right now at home. It is on my, there are two sinks, but for whatever reason, every stinking day, her flat iron ends up on my side. Next to it is a pound of hair. I'm making a sweater out of it. I don't have hair. It's not my hair. It is not my hair. I don't have, it's like I'm just making a sweater for winter. It's going to be good. I know this about my wife. I also know that she comes alive when she's preaching. Oh, she steps into the fullness of her calling. She's the most attractive to me when she's preaching. She's like walking in her giftings. I know she's madly in love with Jesus. Not the idea, not the notion of, not this, like it would be great if she was. She lo- if you talk to her for three minutes, you're gonna know she's in love with Jesus. I know that when we sit down and we dream together, she feels connected. Dreaming, she likes to dream and imagine, and she feels connected. I know this not because I'm in a contract with her, but because I love her and I'm in a relationship with her. Now that does not come easy. That comes painstakingly with a lot of fights and me praying for her to learn how to submit and obey which never gets answered, but she's praying the same thing. It is not easy, but we've, we work at building a relationship. And listen, that's God's heart towards you. He's available to you. He didn't create us for the sake of religion, 
Man did that. He created us for the sake of relationship. Paul talks about this in 19 and 20 of chapter one of Romans. That was a Romans one, chapter 19 and 20, or verse 19 and 20. He said, for what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made so that we are without excuse. He said, I made myself known to you. Why? Because I want relationship with you. Not only that, but I've paved a way through Jesus who gave you the gift of righteousness. So the goal is no longer righteousness. You don't have to earn it. You can't. It's been given to you. It is a gift. The goal is relationship. Circles create religion, not relationship. Circles also 